Welcome to episode three of the Collect a Hobby podcast. Today's topics will include, do mystery boxes slash packs slash repacks have good value? Are special edition consoles and collector editions of games more collectible? How important is centering on a card? And finally, playing TCG versus collecting TCG. Stay tuned. You collect video games and you collect trading card games. Welcome to your new home and welcome to one of the most unique podcasts. Ever. This is the Collect a Hobby Podcast. We've been collecting for years, and we're up to date on all the latest trends in the hobby. Our website, collectahobby.com, is a social network for collectors made by collectors. Made by collectors for collectors. Welcome to your new family. This is the Collect a Hobby Podcast. And now, your expert hosts. Hector and Rich. Let's get this party started. What? what? Sounds fun. Wear your helmets. Before we get started with today's topics, let's start off by talking about collectahobby.com. If you guys have not yet signed up for collectahobby.com, go to our website. Remember, signups for right now will be free. And if you help us out early, we may actually be able to give you even more. So definitely go check out more information on our site, collectahobby.com. So let's talk about the first topic for today. Do mystery boxes slash packs slash repacks have good value? Rich, I'll let you start out today. Let me know what you think about mystery boxes. Do you think it's good? Do you really think there's actual value inside of them? Personally, could not care less about them. It's a good idea, but every time I've bought them in the past, I always spend $30, $40. I could have bought this chase card that I wanted for that price. That $40 could have went towards a booster box. I really don't like mystery boxes personally, but I know a lot of people, they love hey, here's some $20. I I have no idea what I'm going to get. It's going to be a mystery. It'll be fun opening it, and it'll be a surprise. While I personally don't like them, I do see that people can like them. First of all, of course, almost like everything else we'll talk about, I have sealed mystery boxes. I have the Yu-Gi-Oh! mystery box, the Pokemon mystery box, and I also have Magic. It looks cool. The box itself has artwork, and it shows classic packs that you'll never get. The thing is, the value inside. Anytime I see someone open up a mystery box or mystery pack, you really don't get a hit. It's usually the same printed stuff. For example, packs that they had a bunch of, and they're like, oh, let's just throw it into mystery boxes and give it to people. And it yeah. seems like that's what you end up with all the time. There are some people that get lucky. Seems to be only YouTubers, but there are people that do get lucky with them. And I think that's what it's about. It's really just luck. It's really nothing behind it but luck. I don't think there's a problem with the mystery boxes you're talking about. You spend, say, $30, and you'll get six packs in there that are worth $5 each. So you got your money's worth. The reason I brought up the retail versions, right, the ones you see in stores, is because some people will be like, well, I got no value out of it. But in reality, if you really look and count the packs, it kind of got around the same price. Sometimes it's less, but it's around the same price of what you paid. And it's usually always a little less. If you look at what you open up inside of it, the actual pack, you get like no hits. So mm -hmm. people associate that with not getting any value inside the box. And yeah. the same thing with the ones you get from eBay or Amazon or anywhere else. 
those boxes where people are like, oh, you spend $500 and we're going to try to give you $500 worth of value inside of it. Sometimes you get around that price, but a lot mm -hmm. of time they're just giving you bulk stuff like extra packs that they have, extra booster boxes that they have, extra toys that they have. They throw it in there yeah. and they try to add up to around the price, the value. Sometimes you get lucky and is the value. Sometimes you don't. And like I said, sometimes it works on your favor because even those packs or booster boxes that you had may have a hit. The cool thing is if you get sealed product from those mystery boxes, then it could turn out to potentially be more than what the mystery box was worth. I don't know. It's up in air because I know some people will look at it and be like, it's really bad value. However, just for the sake of I wonder what I'm going to get in this box, I think that's the reason why people buy it. Because it's like, what can I possibly get in this mystery box? A grandmother will buy it for her grandkid. They think they're buying something good. Oh, it's a mystery box, but it's just like really junk. Then you've got a little kid opening it, and then they just get all these common cards, and they get maybe a dollar worth of bulk for $20. I really don't like when I see that, but I'm seeing a lot of people, I don't want to say getting scammed, but they're really not even getting close to the value, and I think that's very upsetting. Someone else may be listening to this podcast. They might be like, well, I could counter that argument by saying, what time period are we talking about? Because if we're talking about at the moment, yes, you're not getting the value of it. But what happens about those mystery boxes that came out four years ago? Or what happened to those packs that came out a couple years ago? Because some of those packs are worth way more than that mystery box was. So that's where we have to be careful, both you and I, is we're saying they're not valuable right now. But we have no idea how much value those loose cards or those loose products that they put inside of it may be a couple years from now. I think it was like a year ago, Walgreens had this little booster pack with a mystery promo. No, it was a stack of like maybe 30 cards and then a mystery promo. And they're like okay. $6 or whatever. People were buying them and they were getting the Shining Lugia from Shining Legends promo in there. And at the time, that was an $80 card. So those were flying off the shelves. Now, granted, a lot of times you got something that wasn't worth a lot, but there was the chance to get that promo because when they took that promo in, it was a couple dollar promo and they put it in these mystery boxes and sold them four years later when the price of the cards shot up. Don't forget, if you get a mystery box of Yu-Gi-Oh, cards could be worth less than a dollar. They could be worth a couple cents. And then overnight, they turn out to be worth in the dollar range to $50 to $100. And the reason why is because there's certain cards that are released and people are like, oh, now this other card that they used to print out is now a playable card. So it's part of the meta. And now all of a sudden, those cards that were worth nothing are now worth money overnight. It's crazy how it follows the meta. I think Pokemon fluctuates with the meta, right? Yeah, Pokemon does that as well, but I don't think there's any TCG that does it as much as Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't think anyone just changes its prices as much as Yu-Gi-Oh, depending on the meta. I pulled a Winged Dragon of Raw from Rage of Raw, I believe. I looked it up at the time and it was like a $2 card. And I liked the art, so I kept it. I think I checked it the other day and it was like 12 bucks. And I'm like, the fluctuations is just crazy with Yu-Gi-Oh. These people that sell Yu-Gi-Oh, I don't know how they do it because it seems like it's changing almost daily, like you said. Just choose wisely because you have to understand that more than likely you're not going to get overall value of it. If you do, it won't be valuable for years from now, maybe years from now, and that's the only chance you have of it being valuable. So for the most part, like Rich was saying before, you're not gonna get the true value. And if you were, you're better off buying what you wanted to begin with, rather than just by luck getting it inside the mystery box. I think the next thing that we should talk about is our special edition consoles and collector editions of games more collectible. Now this is a pretty big topic. Rich, how do you feel about that? 
This one hits close to home. When I was younger, I always wanted to get the collector's edition of all the games I wanted. If it had a collector's edition, I wanted it. I think it was around, what was it, like maybe 2012, 13, 14, when collector's editions got really popular. They started making these massive Resident Evil collector's editions, these massive Bioshock collector's editions where you would get like tons of stuff. And then I took a step back and I'm like, I need to slow down and only buy what I really, really want. So I like collector's editions. I think they're awesome. If you love a franchise and they got a collector's edition for a game you're looking forward to, go buy it. Like, I'm all for that. But I think if you buy way too many, you're going to be like drowning in them. What do you uh, mean by collector's edition when you say it though? So if you could explain to someone, that the average person like listening for a collector's edition for a video game, what do you mean by that? A collector's edition to me would be say a new game comes out and the base game is $60 and then the collector's edition would be like 90. The collector's edition would come with extra content, maybe to come with cool posters, maybe a figurine, maybe a DLC, maybe it would come with like, I don't know, like a knapsack or something. It just comes with like extra stuff like for collectors. That's why I think they call it the collector's edition. So it's, it's just a little... It's a little extra for, for the diehard fans. When I was a kid, one of my favorite games was Ninja Warriors on the Super Nintendo. I don't know, know if anyone remembers that. That's one of those like hidden gem kind of games, but... Hidden gems. <laughs> I loved that game when I was a kid. And for some reason, I somehow was... My mom somehow bought it for me. I don't know how. I never showed interest in that stuff, but she bought it for me. They came out with the collector's edition on the Switch not too long ago. It came with chopsticks. It came with a CD. It came with all this cool stuff. I really don't buy many collector's editions, but when I saw that, I'm like, wow, I, I, I need that because that game meant so much to me. And my mom bought it for me when I was a kid. So I bought the collector's edition, and it's one of the few that I actually have in my collection. Do you have any? Do you feel a certain yeah. way about them? I do have a few collector's editions when it comes to video games. So on the game side of it, I believe it's Arkham Knight is the one that uh, came with the Batman figurine that he's like on top of the city. That one's pretty cool. Another one I have is kind of cheesy, but it's what still is? a gear solid. The most pointless one. And I know I was making a joke when I was going to do like a, a YouTube video, record box openings and things. And I was like, <laughs> that would have been a cool thing to do. But no, that hand is the most pointless thing. I, I don't know why I got it. I just thought it was going to be better than what it was. It has to be the funniest collectors that I was cracking up when I saw that. I remember when that came out, I remember, uh, because I know me and you are huge Metal Gear Solid fans, and I got the box, and I'm like, there's no way they fit the hand in there. And then you get the hand, and it's two-thirds the size of a normal human hand. It's, like, much, <laughs> much, much smaller. It, it just, it, it's really funny. It's funny because there's been collector's editions are way better. The, the thing that I really like is special edition consoles. And I think that, for me, that means more than the, the collector editions for games. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, for like almost every PlayStation console, I've had some sort of special edition for it. So what I usually do is I buy every single PlayStation console on launch. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've done this for other consoles. Well, cause I, I have everything. I'm not just a PlayStation fanboy. I like all consoles and I've bought them close to launch. The same thing that I did with the Xbox and I've done it with PlayStation. But the thing with the PlayStation is I would buy the launch edition and then down the line, I'll select a special edition that I like, and I stuck with it. For PS4, for example, mm -hmm. the whole thing for me was that I really wanted that Spider-Man one. Because right now I have oh, the yeah. God of War PS4 Pro version, and I think that looks awesome. But the Spider-Man version looks way better. That red and like 
it, it just the color looks awesome and i think that collector wise i think that that's more valuable it's funny because before i guess ps3 days and ps2 and all that stuff they used to come out with consoles but they weren't really decorated too much you would only get like a color option i think it's when ps4 days came that's when they actually printed things on top of the consoles if you look at a ps3 i had the kill zone edition but it only really came like a kill zone oh, game. Yeah. but it really <laughs> wasn't anything else and i i think majority of consoles were like that right when you yeah. got a special edition, it only had box art that was special about it. Yeah, I remember there was like a Metal Gear Solid bundle, and then there was a Metal Gear Solid gray version of the PS3. But I think you're right. I think most of the time, the the special edition consoles were just like colors. Like, remember like the Fantastic N64? Like, I, those look amazing. I think they've realized you like Spider-Man, so you would want a Spider-Man console. If they make a metal gear ps5 i would definitely be willing to buy that i think people are more attached to like games on the console instead of just like colors because colors are like you know they're whatever you can have a purple console or a blue console or whatever but when you look at the console man that's like themed like metal gear solid or themed like Killzone or themed like god of war like it's it means more funny thing is we're talking about special edition consoles and i just realized that it may be over with because now that Sony, you mm-hmm. could take off the shell case. Like you could take off the case and for it. I don't think yeah. they're going to have special editions anymore because there's no point. You could just replace the case, a special case, and that's it. They, they pop it out and switch it, and that's it. There's oh, no more special edition. Good point. Then would they send, I guess they could sell bundles, right? Didn't they do something similar with the 360 with those face plates? No, I don't think a faceplate will be considered like the same thing. I'm talking about like the bundle, the box. So they're not going to get that box. You'll just get the, you know, the parts for it. It's not going to include the the PS5 with it. I know Microsoft did, though, because Microsoft had the Halo edition. Didn't they? They had like their special edition for the Series X. So at least they still do it, which is cool. But as Sony, I think that it's done with. I don't mind because I prefer that I could swap it out at any point. That's pretty cool as well. But just for like nostalgic purposes it was cool again like a special box art and everything for the mm-hmm. game that you liked but that seems like it's not going to happen anymore yeah like the n64 pikachu like just like looking at the box and then the console it was just so unique but it said that might be going away because as you're saying that i'm thinking about the nintendo switch i guess you can make the dock look special and then have special joy con colors but as far as like the whole console being different and unique you might be right. Those days might be gone. I don't know. The thing is, this, they're just going to keep swapping out the dock for a special edition. I think that's what their special edition is. Here, here's a new dock, right? <laughs> if you're going to think that Nintendo's going to not milk things, you're out of your mind. Nintendo does what everyone else doesn't. They will milk things into the ground if they can. If you're telling me that they're not going to release some Zelda game like that's going to be a special edition when they go to the next one they're going to have a special edition just to sell it like crazy because if they sold another zelda or another mario or even pokemon version it's done oh, it's game yeah. over yeah you'll never be able to find that on store shelves and it'll be sold out online instantly correct okay so let's move on i have a question for you rich what's that how important is centering on a card because Ooh. I know that you said that you are the single person. You're the one that cares about single cards. So if that's the case, how important is centering on a card? Ah, uh, see, that's a tough one. 
and I think a lot of people will differ on this. When you think about grading, obviously you want a perfect centered card, but I think it goes beyond that. I think people really like when you look at a card, that border is the first thing that like you look at. So I think that's right. important for eye appeal and stuff like that, because if you get a card and it's off-centered, it's going to just be like a beautiful card. It's in great condition, but it's off-center. When a card's like completely miscut, that's cool. But when it's like slightly like 70-30 or 60-40, enough where it's noticeable, the newer Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards, you can definitely notice when they're even slightly off-center because the borders are like so pronounced. What, what do you think? Well, I honestly think that it depends on the type of card. So what I mean about that is that, for example, Pokemon, if it's a full art card, it's really hard to see the centering. So if it's a card like that, centering yeah. isn't as important to me because it's not going to be the first thing you notice. You go ahead and you look at the cards, oh, it's not centered at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's because you're looking at the border, like you said. But with full art cards, you can't see that. For the, the average person staring at it, you're really not going to notice it at first glance. So mm-hmm. that's why it doesn't really matter to me. Another thing is it depends on the TCG. For example, Yu-Gi-Oh cards are off-center all the time. You'll just know right off the bat it's going to be off-center for most part for Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And that's just the way it is. If, if you see all the time, you just accept it after a while. How do you feel about grading and centering? Do you think that a perfect card with no flaws, no scratches, no dings, no nothing, but it's off-center should still get a 10? Or do you think that should be a 9? Supposedly... Because we don't know for sure, because we'll mark it down for PSA. But PSA takes centering, they take edges, they take surfaces, they take that into consideration. Then yes, you have to consider centering part of it, which means that if it's slightly off-center, but everything else is good, then it can't get a 10. But that's the thing, though. Since PSA doesn't mark it down subcategories, they could pretty much do whatever they want. All of it's a judgment call, but for them, they could be like, everything else is so perfect except centering, so we're just going to ignore centering, and just, it's going to be a 10. Yeah. In reality, no one really knows the true breakdown. I know they say it, but you can't see the breakdown of that card. Now, for BGS and also CGC, they do subcategories, right, if you pay for it. So when you see that, if you see perfect 10s everywhere, and then you see a 9.5, yes, they have it in their system that it'll be a 10, yeah. but... In reality, it's it's not perfect because it does have the center messed up, but yet it still should be considered pretty good. And that's why it's a 10. We don't know what PSA does, so I can't honestly tell you, yes, they should still mark it as a 10 if centering's off, because I think centering is just one-fourth of the grading system for it. So therefore, you have to treat it like that. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy because like it's not a perfect card because it wasn't cut perfectly in the middle. So it's just tough because I know a lot of people don't think centering should be calculated in the grading scale because, hey, if the sheet was put in to the side a little bit, it's still a perfect card. But other people are like, no, putting the sheet into the side while it was getting cut makes it not a perfect card. I think centering should be just because that is so important and the eye appeal of the card. And to see a card with a 10 and then seeing it like off center kind of looks weird. So I would agree with you on that. I'll I'll give you an example, right? Let's say you enjoy different types of art and you have a little painting, right? What's the first thing that you notice when you hang up a painting? A lot of people look at it and be like, Ooh, it's a slightly crooked. That's the first thing to look at. You can have a painting and it looks great to you, but the minute it's off center and it's crooked, it, it gets to you and it irks you. And that happens to a lot of people. 
the funny thing about that is you could look at a painting and to you, it looks perfectly centered and you're happy. But when someone else looks at it, it looks off centered to me and they might go to that same painting and try to fix it. That's why centering is kind of subjective. Yeah. And you have to be careful with it in that sense, because I guess that's why you see how grading changes and people don't like the fact that you could resend a card and it may get a different centering grade than it did before. And that's mm -hmm. because even though some people use devices that could say this is perfectly centered, visually speaking, like it, it's hard to really tell the difference. That's actually a really good analogy. I like the painting analogy you just said. That's the first time I've heard it. And the first time you've told me that, that's true. I know a lot of people are starting to say that cards are now like modern art. And if you look at a card that's miscentered, it's the same as a painting being hung crooked. Although you could probably fix the, the painting on the wall. The, the... It's, it's funny because like the more off center it is, the more it bothers you. It'll bother you each time you look at it. It'll bother you every single time until it's fixed. Or until unless, you just decide to take it down. <laughs> yeah, unless like the card, it's like way off center. I think those cards are cool. Do you like those? Or you... That's the thing. You'll show it to people, but that's another one of those things. It's like, you think it's cool, but I don't know. Does it mean something to you? Did you pull it yourself or did you buy a miscut one? So it's it depends. I, I think those are semi-cool. In the sense that it's kind of cool to see them, but it's just like one of those things you show people and then that's it. It's like, oh, I have this and then it's done with, right? I don't know. It depends how miscut it is. I know some of them are super rare where you get like one. It's like you, it's printing the bottom half of one and then the top half of the other on the same card on the same cut, which is those yeah. are kind of cool. You never know. Yeah. I've seen some really cool miscuts where the card is like kind of diagonal or you can see the color blotches on the top or whatever from like the printing sheet. Like, there definitely is a market for them. I know there's a lot of people that like collecting specifically miscut cards, but I think as long as it's in terms of centering, we're not talking about miscuts. I think centering is very important. But that's the thing, though, right? Since we talk about miscuts now, how far off center does something have to be to really be considered miscut? Because that, that's the thing, right? Like, I've seen ones that are just really off centered and be like, oh, it, it's, it's miscut. Then there's a debate because it's an in between. So, like, how far do you consider something to be really off centered for it to be a miscut? So to me, there's, I think on the printing sheets, there's little dots in each corner of every card. And if the cut goes over any one of those dots, I would consider that a miscut. If it's within the parameters of that card on the sheet, I feel like then that's just off center. Okay. So how about off center to get an OC, like that, to get that labeling, right? To be off centered. You're yeah. saying that how far off does it have to be for it to be like a normal how far does it have to be to be considered off-centered? What number would you consider to be that portion if you're doing 50-50? If they're a grading system of, what, 60-40, right, for PSA? Yeah, I'd say 25-75 because off-centered cards still look like cards, and they don't look anything out of the ordinary that they would just, like, kind of cut crookedly. But, like, miscut cards, you instantly, instantly know. Yeah. It's weird because, like, you see, like, an off-center card, and you get this unsettling feeling, and then you see, like, a miscut card, and you're like, yeah, I got a miscut card. It's depending how miscut and how off-center determines if it's considered an error or if it's just bad printing. Okay, I've seen that before. People thought it was going to be off-center. It's going to be graded as off-center, but they give them the low grade anyway. Yeah, they'll get, like, a really low grade on the centering, so they'll get back a card that's, like, a 7 when everything else is perfect. Miscut thing is is so I don't want to say like uncharted territory, but it's just so like really a kind of a tough space, you know. And it's funny because that's not the only thing that people use. I know this is a completely different thing, but 
people usually throw it in the same topic when you talk about off center miscut and then you're talking about when it has crimped edges on it that's something else is sort of in this category too some people think of it as since it came from the factory that it shouldn't be something that should be counted against you when grading mm -hmm. so how do you feel about that when you see things crimped do you think that it's okay some people collect just that some people love to collect those I'm torn on that because it's so cool. Like when you get a, a card and it's crimped and you're like, oh, this card was like just a common card, but now it's crimped. Now it has this new value. It's got a cool story. It's got this visual. And even with the off centering, as you were saying, the, the problem with that stuff is it can be replicated in a factory. So if you had a worker at one of the printing factories and they wanted to intentionally crimp all these cards, they could. So it's really not that rare it's rare that you got it but like it can be done and it can be replicated so it can miscuts though <laughs> i guess theoretically they can miscut any card people get uncut sheets and they make their own and i think they're called nfc's non-factory cuts they were cut by hand do you consider those miscuts or do you consider those like someone just messing up a uncut sheet in reality i don't really care for miscuts or off-center too much i just think that now we're really getting into different categories because the whole purpose of you grain and the whole purpose of you looking at the card is because the card itself, the artwork itself, the game, or whatever the contents that may be important for the gameplay. And I think you're going beyond that when you're saying it's now miscut and like you're trying to give yourself another category so you could be on the top of that category since you couldn't mm -hmm. be on the top of the overall category. I feel like that's what people do with cards. And I feel like they're breaking it down to subcategories because the card that's already automatically disqualified from the main category. I understand why, because I think some people think, well, it's not fair. A card that's off-centered by default shouldn't be acknowledged because it, it'll never be a perfect 10. Or a card that's miscut, if you look at it, it's very clean. There's no scratches, no nothing. It's perfect. It's just it didn't come out of the factory perfect. It was cut improperly. I just think it gets too complex because then what's stopping it from the next category? It reminds me of sports. Like you'll watch a sporting event and then the announcer will be like, oh, this person just set the record on Tuesdays wearing blue socks uh, and wearing their hat backwards. That's baseball. Like, okay. <laughs> baseball is the one that, that does that the most. Like you said, like, where does it end? At what point do we just say, listen, this is a miscut and this isn't. Now we're going to add categories. We're going to add crimps. We're going to add this. Can it be replicated? Can someone do it in their house? Sun fading, all, all this. We could honestly just go on forever about this. That's why I said, and I've said plenty of times already in other episodes as well, that as long as you make sure you're collecting something that means something to you, then it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, if it's off-center and you like it, then guess what? You could like it and no one else could. It doesn't matter. That comes into play for the next and final topic for this episode, which is playing TCG versus collecting. Okay, so I'm going to start this off because mm -hmm. I do both now. I was a person that just played TCG and didn't really collect. And now the last couple of years, I moved into the collecting portion. I can honestly say it is more fun to collect TCG because I play it and vice versa, play TCG because I collect it. The fact that I'm actually 
know like how to play the game, understand the rules of the game, there's some meaning behind it. And going back to what I just said previously, how important it is to collect something that means something to you. When you start to understand the game and you start to play and you start having fun playing it, those cards, you're getting meaning. You're finding meaning to those cards. And I think it's important to actually play the game or at least understand what the game's about before you start collecting for it. It'll be a lot easier and better to collect. Percent, man. Like, I remember I got into collecting before playing. I played a little bit on the, the Pokemon TCG game on uh, Game Boy. You remember that one? Yeah, I, I played a little back then, but I haven't played recently. But now I remember I downloaded the Pokemon TCG game and I was playing online and all of these cards, common cards, uncommon cards that I had, I saw them being used in the game. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I can use it. I'm like, oh, that's a good card. It gave me a new perspective and a new appreciation for a lot of these cards that a lot of times were just looked over. You could have a cheaper uh, card but it's really good in the game and vice versa. You could have an expensive card that's you're like, how is that even expensive? You can't even use it in the game, but people want to collect it. So I think having a knowledge in both is really important. It really is. But certain TCG, it's even more important, right? We discussed about this for Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! prices change all the time, right? So if you're a person that's collecting and you want something of value, not just nostalgic purposes, when you actually are collected for something of value as well, you have to stay up to date, especially for Yu-Gi-Oh! Because Yu-Gi-Oh!'s prices change back and forth according to the meta. There's some cards that may be collectible and there's some cards that just may be valuable. And those values go up and down. It changes according to the meta. So by you playing the game itself, you'll actually understand which cards people lean towards, which cards are actually valuable in the market. And I think that playing the game will help you in that sense too on top of having a nostalgic feel towards the game. Totally. Putting together a deck and learning what all the cards do and how they interact. Like, I remember when you were playing uh, and I was watching you the other day. It's just, it was crazy how all the cards interacted. Then I remembered, I opened a pack and I had a few of those cards and it was really cool to see how we're able to get to a goal of, of winning the game. But they weren't just cards that, that I collected. I think it was a Dedenne card in Pokemon. And it was a pretty common card, but it was like a $30 card. And the reason it was so expensive was because it was so good in the meta. And then they changed the meta, and then the card went down to a couple dollars. Same with the, the Reshiram and Charizard card from Unbroken Bonds. That was like the best of both worlds, because it was a super collectible card. It had Charizard, and it had Reshiram, and it even had a rainbow version. But it was also the current meta. So not only was the card high-priced because everyone wanted to collect it, but people needed it for their deck. That's a huge reason for Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I can tell you that much. Same thing for Magic. There's a lot of cards that are just value high because they're playable cards. So it really depends on what the meta is. For people that don't know, meta is the decks that people are playing with. I guess it'd be cards or decks that people like the, are like the current trend. The current yeah. trend of what people are doing in in the game. Like mostly tournaments and stuff because that's where you really get a sense in the metas what they competed with in like locals and different tournaments right that really determines the market for playing cards because there's always two markets we are collectors first but there's also a market for people that play the game i think that knowing both it's going to help you 
let's say there's a new set that comes out for Pokemon, right? And you know that there's going to be a card or a bunch of cards that are going to be very playable. It's going to be harder for you to search for that big Charizard pool if so many people are going to be buying a set based off of what's playable. And same thing for Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Now, Ghost in the Past 2 turned out to be the best of both worlds because if you're a collector, you could go ahead and chase that Ghost Rare. But also, if you're a person that plays the game, you get a lot of reprints that you needed to play the game. If you get a Ghost Rare 2, that's awesome. That's it. That was for both people. When you play the game, you understand it more. And like I said, you don't have to play the game and like it. I played Pokemon. I don't really like the game of Pokemon. I don't mind it. I just, for me personally, I don't think that is as complex as Yu-Gi-Oh! I didn't think Magic's more complex as well. I don't like Pokemon as much, but the game itself, it's pretty cool. And I think they're changing slight rules right now to make it more entertaining with different types of cards, V-Cars as the, the latest ones. I think... The way they're switching up the gameplay, which is awesome, but I much prefer Yu-Gi-Oh! gameplay. Yeah, I know Pokemon, like you mentioned, is is changing up the gameplay. What, battle styles brought in, literally, the different battle styles. They had the single strike and the rapid strike. I, I think, speaking specifically for Pokemon, they're really kind of understanding that there needs to be players and collectors, because the new alt arts are absolutely phenomenal and everyone wants them and that's what the chase cards in every set and they look beautiful then they're also trying to work on the mechanics of the game itself with the different kind of rapid and single strike the v cards the new brilliant stars has the v star card the v union they're bringing all these new concepts i think it's really cool that these companies are seeing that not only are people playing these games but they're collecting and they're trying to to give a little to each of those communities. And a lot of the time, those communities overlap. Yeah, I think that it's important, though, like that you need a balance, right? I think the big three are starting to notice that. So when you say big three, I'm talking about Yu-Gi-Oh, talk about Pokemon, and I'm talking about Magic, right? Those big three, they're starting to, to understand that now. And you may have thought a couple months ago, Magic lost them. They, they didn't really have anything that's collectible per se, for newer, modern stuff. But then all of a sudden, that Neon set came out, right? And there's all expensive cards in there, and it actually was more for collectors. Pokemon, it's been the other way around. They were just doing it mostly for playing. And I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is trying to balance it out. A good balance between two is very important. Well, I know a lot of people who collect, they need the players. Because if they're buying packs and they're opening them and they're getting what they call bulk, they need to sell those to someone. And the players need those cards for their decks. And the players who are opening packs and they need cards to play with, maybe they get a really good alternate art card that they don't want, and then they sell it to the collectors. Absolutely. Wow, that was another episode just flew by. I just want to leave you guys off there listening right now with something about our website, collectahobby.com. If you have not signed up yet, definitely go over to collectahobby.com. Hopefully you guys will sign up and join and be on the comment section. A little bit about the website, even though we do say it is collect a hobby and it's for collectors, we also accept people that play the game as well because I know that every person that plays the game, like we mentioned this episode, are potentially going to collect. So feel free to join, even if you only play the game and you're interested in collecting, we'll teach you what it's all about. I'm sure everyone that's there right now will be able to explain to you what to do and what's next. So that's pretty much it. Is there anything that you want to say to end this off, Rich? No, just if you like the episode and you want to go talk about it on the forums, I'd love to hear what you have to say. I'm sure Hector would too. Absolutely. That's it.
All right, guys. Well, there goes another episode. See you. Take care. Later. You've been listening to the Collect a Hobby podcast. Hector and Rich have been collecting video games as well as trading card games for years. And they're up to date on everything that has to do with the hobby. For everything you could imagine and need, hit the website at collectahobby.com. You'll find the blog, show and tell, the vault, the forums, and so much more. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time on the Collect a Hobby Podcast.